0: One of the privileges that I have in my position is that of officiating at wedding ceremonies. And uh, one important observation that I have made is uh, one that's worth the price of admission this morning. And that is this. A wedding is one thing, and a marriage is something entirely different. All right. Amen. Preach it, brother. Here we go. Okay, I know that's, uh, that was uh, pr- pretty profound, but uh, what a difference between the, the, you know, the way things usually start in the home and the way they continue. I ran across a, kind of an interesting... Um, assessment of that particular truth uh, a gentleman in a book called uh, secrets to inner beauty his name is joe aldrich he writes of the realities of married life he says it doesn't take long for the newlyweds to discover that quote everything in one person nobody's got says they soon learn that a marriage license is just a learner's permit and ask with agony is there life after marriage says, an old Arab proverb states that marriage begins with a prince kissing an angel and ends with a bald-headed man (laughs) looking across the table at a fat lady. How's that for a word picture? Socrates told his students, by all means marry. If you get a good wife, twice blessed you will be. If you get a bad wife you'll become a philosopher. (laughs) Count Herman Kesselring said it well when he stated that, quote, the essential difficulties of life do not end, but rather begin with marriage. Marriage for many begins like a a moonlit sleigh ride across the crisp, recently fallen snow. And it ends up being kind of like in my mind, have you ever been down on the beach on a hot day in bare feet? trying to get from one place to the other. That's kind of the word picture that some of us can maybe identify with. It's kind of starts that way and just feeling your way along. And that's kind of the way that it is, you know? And if you don't believe that, all you gotta do is look around. You don't have to even see the statistics or read about the statistics, but I mean, just look around in your own home, in the homes of friends of yours. Look around at your place of work or business And listen to the conversations that take place about what's going on in marriages. Um, Look around at the the number of people who are looking for marital counseling. And you realize that, you know, there's a lot of truth to this, that, uh, you know, marriage takes a lot of hard work. Now, I'm not an idealist, I'm a realist, and 22 years of being married has made me a realist. And, uh, and it's made, I'm sure, my wife, Linda, a realist, because you don't, you don't stay married that long without going through a lot of different seasons of your life. There are going to be good times and bad times. There's going to be times of great joy, and there's going to be times of heartache and agony. There are going to be times of uh, in sickness and in health, in riches and in poorness, or whatever, <laughs> something like that, or no money. Um, There are going to be times that are like that, you know, and life's a learning process. And so many of us who are going through this, you know, it's been quite a ride for us, and I'm sure it's quite a journey for you as well. But uh, I came across an excerpt of an article that I believe will help shed some light on our topic for today. And uh, in an essay on the theme of arranged marriages, this writer offers these insights. And I kind of like this, and I want you to listen carefully to this, because... He says this, in the United States and other Western-style cultures, people tend to marry because they're attracted to another's appealing qualities. A fresh smile, a pleasing figure, wittiness, athletic ability, a cheerful disposition, charm. And over time, these qualities can change. The physical attributes especially deteriorate with age. Meanwhile, surprises may surface. For example, you may find that your spouse is a swab. He put slatternly slatternly housekeeping, but I didn't know what that meant, so I just thought that it was a tendency toward depression, disagreements over sex. He says, in contrast, the partners in an arranged marriage, which over half of all marriages in the world are still fitting this particular description, an arranged marriage, an arranged marriage, they do not center their relationship on mutual attractions. says, having heard your parents' decision, you accept that you will live for many years with someone that you now barely know. Thus, the overriding question changes from, gee, who should I marry, to, given this partner, what kind of marriage can we construct together? I like that. Because that's the kind of attitude that we need to have if we're going to have healthy marriages. From, gee, whom shall I marry, to, you know what, given this person that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with, what kind of marriage do I want to have? And that's a great attitude to have. Think about that if we would change the whole way that we think about our relationship with one another. It's not an option. This is the person that I'll be married to for the rest of my life. Now it's a question of what kind of relationship do I want to have? Do I just want to peacefully coexist or do I want to make something happen? You know, it's been said that most marriages go through four phases if they're to be successful. The first phase, in particular, our Western-style culture of marriage where we find the person and we decide that's who we want to marry. So we go through the romance stage. Everything is great. There's nothing wrong. Everything is wonderful. Any little mistake or any little flaw on the part of that, that potential spouse is overlooked because, you know what, it's lost in the, in the big picture. So we go from that to everything's perfect to the reality stage where it's like, oops, missed that one in the big picture to the, you know, well, and, and we don't give up at that point because in reality we still think that, you know what, I think I can still change him or her I think there's some hope here, and I'll change him or her. You know, I'm not giving up yet till finally you give up because you realize you're not going to change him. And that's the resignation stage. This is the way it is, and ain't nothing getting to get done about changing it, so we're kind of stuck with this. And uh, if you're in that stage, then you know it's kind of frustrating, and it's not that great. But the last stage is the reconstruction stage that says, you know what? We went through the romance, we've discovered the reality. You know, I've kind of resigned myself to this is who I'm stuck with, good or bad to, you know what, let's reconstruct this and make it something that God intended it to be. And the attitude has to do with, you know what, given this spouse that I have, what kind of marriage do I want? And uh, as we go through all this, I don't know what stage you find yourself at today, but I do know this, that um, if you're low on uh, on hope or running out of hope, that uh, the Apostle Peter, in the particular study that we've been going through, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, He offers us uh, some hope as we look at this particular uh, passage. He offers us hope that goes beyond the wedding day. Hope beyond the wedding day. Now, tucked away in the heart of this letter is this little gem of truth, and it's like a diamond in a ring. And uh, without the right setting to enhance its beauty, the little gem that we have there sometimes gets lost without the proper setting. And so what I mean by that is this that this particular passage, as we've been going through it, starting with the second chapter and going into the third chapter, this passage, what we call the, the setting, is, uh, in, in terms of Bible study, would be the uh, context in which we find it. And so as we look at this, this little diamond that we have that's going to get lost without understanding the setting that really enhances its beauty, the setting that we saw was found starting in our study in, in chapter 2, starting with verse 13. If we don't understand the setting, we will not understand nor appreciate what God's going to teach us in 1 Peter chapter 3, particularly the first seven verses as they relate to marriage. So I want you to understand what the context is. The context of this whole setting that will enhance this teaching is that of submission. And if you remember, to submit to someone means to fall in rank underneath the authority of another. It means to deliberately place yourself in the authority or under the authority of another person to give up whatever rights you think you have and subject yourself to that person and that person's authority. So to really understand what's going on here as we look at 1 Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 1, we need to recognize that, you know what, we need to look at putting ourselves under the authority in a, as far as a rank is concerned to appreciate what God's going to try to teach us here. Now, I realize that, you know what, there have been a lot of people who have manipulated this particular passage, and as a result, it tends to be where, I'll guarantee you, that as you look at the first six verses of chapter 3, many women will say, well, you know what though, that's culturally irrelevant, or it's been manipulated in the past to try to somehow or another make men uh, be more dominating or domineering over women and put women into a second class category, and that's not what's taking place here at all. So you can't hide or run to extremes because if we do that, we, move, we lose sight of what God's trying to teach us in this particular setting. So don't run away and hide from it because you've been in a situation before where maybe somebody has been, uh, you know, uh, a person that manipulates their position of authority or power. But don't forget the context in which it's being taught and I'll go through and explain how it all ties together. So don't run away and hide from it, but look for what truth that God's trying to give us as we look at this, as, as we see that there's hope beyond marriage. So in 1 Peter chapter 3, if you look at the first verse, we read this. It says, Now, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And let, and let not your adornment be merely external, the braiding of the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. In this first verse, we find a key to understanding the passage as you note what he says. He says, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. And to understand the context as we're going through it so that it makes sense, he's saying, in the same way, be submissive. Well, the question is, in in what way are wives to be submissive to their own husbands? And to understand that, we've got to go back to what we've already looked at and uh, and take a look at all of these things. As we look at what does it mean to fall in rank under the authority of another person and uh, what what were some of the reasons that God gives us as to why we're to submit or subject ourselves to authority. And so as we look back at chapter 2, because that's the connection that we see here as we go through this particular uh, section, it says, in the same way, in the same way as what? If... Wives are be to, to be submissive to their own husbands or to place themselves under the authority of their own husbands. We need to understand in which way that should take place. And in order to do that, we've got to go back to what we've already seen. And we see five reasons that God has already given us as to why all of us should place ourselves in submission or subjection to authority. The first thing that we saw was in chapter 2. Look at verse 12. He says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Don't forget the primary purpose that God wants us to advertise or proclaim that we're a child of God, that we've entered into a right relationship with God. One way that we'll do that is how we respond to those who are in authority over our lives. It's a, a, you know, one... One act of submission is worth a thousand professions of faith. And what he's saying is is that we as we subject ourselves or place ourselves deliberately under the authority of another person, we are testifying to the fact that you know what we believe what God has to say about subjection, about authority, about submissiveness, about recognizing authority in our life and he's saying this that you know what people are going to call you evildoers or say that you know what all you are are a bunch of troublemakers you Christian people and you know what and what they were trying to do remember now the context too that this was written what Rome was going to do is accuse the Christians of trying to take over and usurp the authority of Rome that was the greatest fear that they had at first Christianity was looked at as part of a sect of Judaism or a type of Judaism and because of that it was accepted as a main line religion but when they began to realize that Christianity was different than Judaism, that it was a whole new belief system, the Roman government, as they were being fed information about all the trouble that Christians were causing on the outskirts and the outposts of their authority, they were trying an the insurrection. They're going to take over. They're going to come over and they're going to take over Rome. They're going to take over the rule of Rome. They're going to take over. And see, even the apostles thought that that's what Jesus was going to do. The disciples thought that Jesus came to, to free them from Roman authority. And that's why they were so confused when Jesus took a coin and said, render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but under God the things that are God's. And they started to get a little upset about the fact that, you know what, we want to be free. And he said, oh, I come to set you free, but I come to set you free from sin. I come to set you free from, from, from the darkness. And I'm going to have mercy on you. And that way when you have mercy and you receive mercy... You'll be able to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you from darkness into light. I've come to set you free, but not like you think you need to be set free. See, and a lot of us are still struggling with that. We want to be set free from authoritative governments. We want to be set free from authoritative people that we work for. We want to be set free so we don't have to answer to anybody. And God says, I didn't come to set you free from that. In fact, I want you to be subjected to their authority. Man! And that's where we all start stomping our feet because we don't get our way. And so the first thing he says is as we subject ourselves to authority, it's a testimony to the world that we're not trying to do what they think we're trying to do, which is get out from under their authority and somehow or another take their authority so that, that now they're subjected to us. That's not what God's called us to do. And as we go through that, we see that that's the first reason that we're to be in subjection. The second thing is this, which is kind of fascinating. If you look at verse 15... It says, by subjecting ourselves to authority, this is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Oh, I love this. You know why I love this? Because I meet so many people, they're always asking, what do you think the will of God is? I want to pray that God's will will be known in my life. I want to pray for the will of God. I just want to do what God wants me to do. No, you don't. You just want to pray for the will of God. You just want to ask what the will of God is. You just want to keep making it as vague as you can because you don't want to know what it is. Because when you find out what it is, you don't want to do it. Isn't that true? Oh, I'm just praying for God's will. You don't have to pray for it. Here it is. You want to pray for God's will in your work environment and how you should respond to your boss? You want to pray for God's will as we'll look and see how I should handle with a situation I'm going through in my home? Hey, let me just tell you something. You don't have to pray no more. Isn't that great? You don't even have to go ask any of your friends anymore. What should I do? My boss is such a jerk. What do you think I should do? What do you think God's will is? Well, it's right here. Here it is. Verse 15. Don't we all hate this kind of stuff? For such is the will of God. What is that you subject yourself to authority and you do what's right. And if you do that, you'll silence that ignorant boss. That's what it says right here. Silence the ignorance of foolish men. Okay? It's God's will. Isn't this great? It's God's will. And the longer I live, the more I'm convinced we don't want to know God's will. Because when we find out, we try to change it anyway. That's not really what it means. What does it say to you? Number three, if you do that, look at verse 19. It finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. It finds favor with God. Isn't that great? It finds favor with God literally, it means what your action is, is thankworthy before God. Now listen to me and don't miss this. Every time that you and I submit to authority, remember that we are a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, men and women that are separated for the purposes of God to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Every time that you and I subject ourselves to the authority of someone that God has placed over us, it is a spiritual sacrifice to God that is pleasing to God. And it's says, every time I do it, he says to me, Chuck, thank you. Because I know you. And I know that this isn't easy for you. And I know you'd rather stick your finger in the guy's chest and tell him what to do with his job. And I know that about you. And I just find it wonderful that you would offer such a sacrifice to me and it is pleasing to me that you didn't do that. And besides, what I have learned in life is this. It's real hard to tell a person while you're sticking their finger in their chest and tell them to take their job and whatever do with it that you might think they should do with it. It's really hard to tell them. But you know what? But I also want to tell you, Jesus will love you and he'll set you free from your sin just is it just is a mixed it's a mixed message don't you think stick it and Jesus loves you you know there's just a little confusion that goes along with that but what he's saying is this finds favor with God when you say okay Lord I don't understand this but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway and I like what it says here it says it what it finds favor or, or for the sake of conscience in verse, in that particular verse, the fourth thing we found out about submission is this. Submission frees you up. Submission frees you up. This is one of the greatest paradoxes in the Christian life. And that is this. When I give up my freedom because God says to do it, I found freedom that I'm looking for that I've never been able to find before. You understand what I'm saying? When you give up your freedom because God says to do it, you will find the freedom that you've been looking for your whole life and in ways that you've been trying and you've never been able to find it. When I submit to an authority in my life, who for my whole life I've been trying to find freedom from and fighting him tooth and nails and sticking my finger in his chest and we've been going at each other, when I finally give up and realize, you know what, God's trying to teach me something here and it finds favor with God, when I give that freedom up and say, okay, I'm in submission to this person's authority, God, I'm going to do it because you tell me to do it, you know what's an amazing thing? I find peace in my life. I find freedom from that oppression. Isn't that amazing? That's how God says it's done. And the fifth thing is this, and the important thing is, you know what? We're talking about a role model here. We're all looking for role models, you know. Our, our society is, is uh, you know, frightening, frighteningly, frighteningly becoming, uh, you know, void of role models. But here's an amazing role model that we have here. Look at it says in verse 21. It says, you have been called for this purpose. What purpose? Subjecting yourself to authority. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Jesus Christ is our role model. He's saying that, you know what? I subjected myself to the will of God, the will of the Father. The sacrifice that I offered was pleasing to my Father who is in heaven. By doing His will and not my will, your will be done, not my will. And by doing that, I subjected myself to cruel and unusual treatment at the hands of men who put me on a cross and they hung me on the cross and they ridiculed me, they insulted me, they reviled me, they spat upon me, they put crowns of thorns on my head, they beat me, they, they, they delivered me to death. He said, I submitted myself to their authority and I've been called and you've been called to follow in his footsteps. Why? Because you know what? Jesus endured all of that treatment, the Bible says. He despised the shame. He endured the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him. The end result would happen as a result of his submission to the will of God. You've got to keep, ladies, listen to me, please. Please. You have got to keep all these things in mind as we look at what's being taught in the first six verses of chapter 3. Because you are going to ask yourself the same question Why should, should I put myself in subjection to my own husband? Why should I put myself under his authority? What, what, what's in it for me? And those five reasons, the same reasons that we're to subject to government are the same reasons that a wife should su- subject herself to the authority of her own husband and the same reasons as we'll see in the context that follows that all of, our, all of us should subject to the authority of God in our life. You need to understand the context because without it, it doesn't make any sense. But within it, it's a gem. I know, ladies, you like jewelry. This is a gem. This is, this is, uh, this is a gift from God to you. Be saved, but couldn't I just get a gift certificate to Nordstrom's? (laughs) This will last longer. Okay, now are you ready? Here we go. We're going to look at some wise counsel that God gives women in the first six verses of chapter 3. Now, as we look through this, we're going to see something here that's pretty interesting, and that is the first six verses of our passage refers to wives, and the seventh verse refers to husbands. Now, I can hear some of you mumbling already. Now, what's the first thing that you're thinking to yourself if you're a woman that says, you know what, why am I getting six verses and this guy's only getting one? What's the first thing you want to say? That's not fair. That's just not fair. That's not fair. And that's why you got all these gals that are running around trying to somehow or another change the Bible to make it gender-friendly. You know, I've got, I mean, should we open it up to theories why there's six verses that are directed to women and only one verse directed to men? I thought maybe I'd throw that out and you can give me some reasons why you believe that to be the case. Then I realized that many guys in here were going to get themselves in a lot of trouble. (laughs) So what I thought was, you know, well, let's see, six verses to women, it takes more words to communicate. Women like to use more words than men. Guys like to just get right to the point. So God's given you six verses and he's given us one. You know, men, we can't handle more than one verse of homework at a time. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it has to do with our attention span as men. You know what, it's like some of you guys are ready. Okay, first six verses, I don't have to pay attention. I only got one verse to listen to, so I'll go ahead and just listen to that one. So, I, I, you know, I don't know what the theories are, but I do know this. I like what one guy writes, and this will get us all out of trouble, I think. But he says this. He says, it may seem that Peter's advice to wives is six times as long as that to husband's. This is because the wife's position was far more difficult than that of the husband. Yeah, I know, you're liking it already, aren't you? <laughs> it says if a husband became a Christian, he would automatically bring his wife with him into the church. It says, but if a wife became a Christian while her husband did not, she was taking a step which was unprecedented and which produced the acutest of problems. And I think that as we read the context, this will make a lot of sense. So don't run from this. I know this is a hot potato for some of you ladies, but you know what? Don't run from this and listen to me and let me just get this clarified right up front. I don't believe anywhere in the Bible does God say that a woman should be in a position where she will be harmed by her husband, where her children are at risk by her husband. There is nowhere in the Bible that says that you are to stay in that type of environment and subject yourself to that type of punishment or behavior. It doesn't say that. So don't go running and hiding behind the extremes. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's not what God's saying. What he's saying is that, you know what though? But for the majority of you who find yourself in this type of situation, here's the counsel that God wants to give to you. And if you will apply this, you will be amazed at what God will do in your marriage. That's what he wants to say. So in this particular uh, passage, we're going to find four four insights that we need to take a look at um, that, I, I, that I believe as we go through this is going to change your life and change your marriage. The first one is this, ladies. Recognize your husband's position of leadership in your home. Okay, 1 Peter 3, 1 says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Do you notice what he's saying here? You know what? Recognize your husband's position of leadership in your home. That's the first thing that you need to understand. Wives, be submissive to your own husband in your own home, in your, that type of environment. It has to do with order, not evaluation. For example, as I'm thinking about this to make more sense, you know, you think about a Roman household and there were slaves in that Roman household and there were slaves who were to put themselves in submission or subjection to those who owned them or their, you know, their, their masters, so to speak. Now, there are a lot of slaves in the Roman Empire who were a lot better people than the people who owned them. There's no question about that. But he's still telling them to submit themselves or subject themselves to the authority of the person that owned them. You know, if any of you have been in the service, you know that there are a lot of privates who have a lot more intelligence and a lot more going for them than a five star general sometimes. But you know what? If you're in the military, you submit or subject yourself to the authority of the person over you. This isn't a matter of evaluation. It's a matter of protection and doing what God calls you to do within the will of God. I love this story that I heard, not to, well, that I heard and I've used before, but it, it kind of illustrates this whole idea of submission. It says that on a foggy night at sea, the ship's captain saw what appeared to be lights of another ship heading towards them. He instructed a signal one to contact the other ship by signal light. He sent this message, change your course 10 degrees to the north. The reply came, change your course 10 degrees to the south. The captain responded, I'm a captain. Change your course 10 degrees to the north. The response was, I'm a seaman first class. You change your course 10 degrees to the south. Uh Uh-oh. The captain was furious. He sent a signal and another reply and said, I'm a battleship. Change your course 10 degrees to the north. The reply came. I am a lighthouse. You change your course ten degrees to the south. I like that. That's why some of us are in our marriages. You know, there's protection here. It's not a matter of whether he deserves it or not. God is saying that. You know what? God has established authorities. Given, you know, God has a purpose and a design for marriage, and He's established authority. And what He's saying basically is this. You know, in, in, in Ephesians 5:22 and 24, it says, "Wives, submit to your husbands, as to the Lord." For the Lord is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, His body of which He is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. What he's saying is this, there's a creative order in the home. And the way that it works is this, that God is the head of all of us. We should all submit to Him. A husband should submit to Him. A wife should submit to Him. Children should submit to Him. But His order in the home is simply this, God comes first, the husband is subservient to God, the wife underneath the husband and the children come underneath them and so basically it's a matter or a question of authority and and uh, and designed by God it has nothing to do with whether one person's better or another than the other person or one person's you know more capable than the other person it's just structure that's the way it has to be and as a husband if I submit to God then you know what will be wonderful for my wife it'll make it a lot easier for her to subject herself to me but the reality is sometimes husbands don't subject themselves to God Sometimes husbands are disobedient to God. And the wife has a temptation at this point to say, well, because he's not submitting to God, I'm not going to submit to him. And then all of a sudden, what do you do when you're a child who says, my parents aren't submitting to God, so I'm not going to submit to them. What does that mean? Well, the only time I'm going to subject myself to authority is if everything lines up the way I think it should be going. So, hey, you know what? If dad submits himself to the authority of God, then maybe I'll submit myself to my dad's authority or my mom's authority. But if my mom is disobedient to God, I won't listen to her, but I'll just listen to my dad. And the whole structure falls apart and you've got all these people fighting in this house and everything, all hell breaks loose. And you wonder what's going on with marriage. I'll tell you what's going on. The whole creative order of God is disintegrating before us. And the reason it's disintegrating is that we live in a culture who are trying to make men look like morons. Turn the TV on and find one positive role model of a husband and father anymore on any situation comedy or any television show that you see on TV or any movie that you go to. Every dad on TV is a nitwit. Roseanne runs the show. Her husband's, a, you know, he, he doesn't know what's going on. Homer Simpson. Who's this? Like the the role model for all of us dads? Or it was a guy on Al, Al Bundy. Al Bundy. He's an idiot. Homer Simpson's a moron. You know, Dan Roseanne's husband was another loser. The whole world that we look at is trying to destroy the role and the impact that fathers and husbands have on their families. And so as a result, ladies, you're starting to buy into this. You're thinking, my husband's not worth subjecting myself to. Not only is he not as bright as I am, but more importantly, you know what? My husband's not even a Christian. My husband's not even a Christian. My husband's being disobedient to God and some of the things that he's doing in his life, so I'm not going to subject myself to him. Well, what's the big picture here? He says, listen, ladies, if you subject yourself to your husband's authority, if any of them don't believe the word, they may be won over without words by what? The behavior of their wives. Isn't that awesome? Stop and think about what's happening here. God is saying that wives are to subject themselves to the authority of their husbands because that's the will of God. Because that finds favor with God. Because that will free you up. And it also, ultimately, at some point, God will use that in the life of your unbelieving or disbelieving or disobedient husband to draw him into a relationship with the God who made him. Isn't that awesome? But it all comes back to subjection, doesn't it? Now, here's a problem. If a wife is to subject herself to the authority of her husband in her home, I believe this to be the case. Nature abhors a vacuum. That means this Buddy, if you haven't been leading your family, then your wife has stepped in and decided that she needs to do it since you're not doing it. Now, what happens is this some of you gals are liking it. You like it, you're in control. You're in charge. And what it comes down to is, you, know, you ever have those conversations at your home, your kids come and ask you something, and it's like, you ever as a guy afraid to tell them yes or no because you don't really know what the mom's going to think? How many have been there? Uh, here's what we do, right? It's okay if your mom says it's okay. So then they walk into the other room and they go, you know, mom, dad said it's okay. Here comes mom. Did you tell him it's okay? No. In 22 years of marriage, you know me better than that because I just say, you know what, it's okay. If you said it was okay, did you say it was okay? We'll go back together. (laughs) Trying to break down the system here. It ain't going to happen. You're not breaking down the system. That's not the way it works. But see, that's the way it is, right? So here's what happens. Ladies, some of you have been in charge for so long because your husband hasn't assumed his position of leadership. Now what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to step back and allow him to take his rightful position. (laughs) <laughs> please don't say anything you're not going to make this any easier for these gals okay but you see what happens and so now what happens is this you're going to say okay God I'm going to step back and allow this person to assume his leadership he hasn't done it he's not very good at it I'll just step over here and wait till he fails miserably so I can step back in and take his place he's not going to be good at it at first but you can make it a lot easier for him to assume that rightful position in your family. You see, ladies, you need to recognize the authority of your husband in your own home. This doesn't mean that every woman is to be subject to every man. But it is to mean this in your home, recognize his position of authority. And man, I'll tell you what, think about all the problems that you're having in home. A lot of it has to do with simply the fact that, you know what? You're both fighting to be in control. And it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. It was never designed to work that way. You know, think about it. Why should you submit to his leadership? It's God's will. Why should you submit to him? Because it finds favor with God. Why should you submit to him? It'll free you up. And you know what? A lot of you women, uh, you know, are upset at your husbands and you're bitter toward them. Why? Because you've been placed in a position of leadership in your family that was never intended by God for you to fill. And so you're bitter toward your husband because he doesn't step up like a man and take control of your household. And so you're bitter toward him because he won't do it. But yet on the other hand, you won't let go so he can do it. And there's a battle that's going on. That's why in Genesis 3, you know, God warned Eve that, you know what, your desire will be for your husband. Your desire, and that's not a good thing, your desire will be to take his position of authority from your household. And you can't let that happen or it's all going to fall apart. So all I can you is this. Encourage you. You know what? Let him be the leader and he's going to make mistakes but you know what? Recognize that that's his rightful position and support him and encourage him because what we're doing is we're teaching our sons to be wimps and we're teaching our daughters to wear the pants in their families and then you wonder why your children's children are having a problem in their marriages. Everything's got messed up. Would you please allow men to be men and women to be women? Amen. Hallelujah. It isn't easy to hear, is it? But think about all the stuff that's going on in your family because that little principle has been violated. Number two. And the way that the submission works is this. You refrain from certain activities. See what it says? When they see the purity and the reverence of your life, you refrain from certain activities. Ladies, your life's a spectator sport. You've got a husband who doesn't know the Lord or you've got a husband who's disobedient to God. You know what they're doing? They're sitting around watching you. They're watching you to see whether you're for real or not, to see what's going on in your life, just like non-Christians in your community are watching you to see what makes you tick. How are they going to respond to this situation? Uh, is he going to yell, scream, throw a pick because he doesn't get his way? What's going on here? And ladies, these guys are sitting around and they're watching you. You may not think they're paying attention, but they're watching. They're watching, but what, what are they watching? Are they seeing the purity of your life? Look at Titus 2, 3, and 5. It says, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train their younger women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. See what he's saying? Older women are to teach younger women these things. And these things are basically character And and the character is this. Number one, be self-controlled or sensible. That has to do with emotionally be under control, ladies. Be self-controlled and sensible. Number two, you know, live a life of purity. Live a life of purity, which has to do physically with your speech and your dress. And we don't have time to do it, but read in the book of Proverbs how God contrasts a pure woman to an immoral woman it has to do with the way she dresses it has to do with the way she speaks it has to do with her her relationship with other men other than her husband we need to recognize that you know what ladies don't be cheap, don't be trashy don't put a for sale sign on you when you're walking out in public you save that stuff that God has given you for your man and your man alone I was like where are you going dressed like that I hope up to the bedroom (laughs) because you ain't on the prowl no more you already conquered that guy and it's over The hunt, the quest, it's over. Now, what type of marriage can I have with this spouse for the rest of my life? See, it's an attitude thing, isn't it? But we're talking about, you know what? To be pure. When they see the purity of your life. It's like saying, hey, big guy, I only have eyes for you. If you can't sing it, say it. And if you can't say it, then just show it. But that's the way that you're to be. Save that, you know, save that for him and for him alone. Be kind. Be kind, which means, you know what? It has to do with motivations. I like that. You know, submission is a mark of security. To submit yourself to your man is a mark of security. How is it a mark of security? Not because you're secure in your relationship with your husband, but because you're secure in your relationship with God who's asked you to do it. Listen to me. Life is not fair, but God is. You follow that? Life is not fair, but God is. The third thing that he tells us to do is this. You know, it's interesting, too. I, 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 this is, uh, I don't know, maybe I should... Well, I'll share this. You know, talk about emotions. You know, some of you gals got this thing down where you are like, you know, you extort what you want by the way you behave. You know, pouting, crying, throwing a fit, going into a shell, that kind of stuff. And he says, you know, be controlled emotionally. I had a guy call me this week. It's been hot this week, right? And in the air conditioning business, you know, we pray for that. And I just want to let you know. <laughs> so this week, God answered our prayers and he didn't answer yours. Uh, but, uh, but see, the way it works. So this guy calls and says, hey, look, you know, I need to come over. I got to get air conditioning in my house. So I, I get over to the guy's house. He goes, man, I got to get, how quickly can you put air conditioning in my house? I said, well, you know, what's amazing to me is that, you know, if people want to put air conditioning in the house, it's going to last 15 or 20 years, and because it's 95 degrees, one day they're going to make that investment. You know, you think you'd think about it a little longer than that, but it's hot and I need it now. So it's like, you know, what's the big deal? He said, well, listen to this. My wife said she will not have sex with me again until I put air conditioning in the house. Now, I had explained to him that our product has a limited warranty. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) It'll cool your house, but I don't know what we're going to... I don't know, you know, you're going to have to take care of the other stuff. (laughs) But I thought, you know, it was funny and you laugh about it, but you know what? Some of us kind of still do that on a very serious note. It's a little manipulation. We pout until we get what we want. And God's saying, you know, a lot of times a husband's leadership breaks down because he gives in to that type of emotion. Don't use that to manipulate to get what you want. That's refraining from certain activities. The other thing that was kind of interesting is this. He says you're to respect your husband. Respect your husband. Respect your husband. Oh, you know what? We're running out of time. Now, see, which is okay because what I can do, ladies and you tell me what you want to do. I can go really fast over the next two points and then go super fast over verse seven. <laughs> guys, I tried. I just thought I'd throw it out. How many guys say that's a great idea? Amen. Or I, okay, I'll just, I'll, here's what I'll do. Here's what I'll do. I'll take my time for this next point, and then next week, we'll just just talk a little straight up with the husbands. Is that all right? Is that okay? Okay, now men, if you're really a man, you'll be back. <laughs> okay, respect, respect, look like at this, respect your husband. When they see the purity in what? In the reverence of your life. Ladies, respect your husband. You know how you respect your husband? Proverbs 12:4 uh, says this, An excellent wife is a crown to her husband, but she who shames him is as rottenness in his bones. You know what's amazing? Every marriage series I've ever been through and everything I've ever read about marriage says this about what men expect. It's always in the top one, two, or three. And it's this. I want my wife to respect me. I want my wife to respect me. How many guys do you know that don't want their wife to respect them? I want my wife to respect me. I'm sure that you do too. And you know what? God says, ladies, that when they see that respect for them, it breaks down the hardness of their heart. It breaks down the hardness of their heart. Isn't it fascinating? Respect your husband. You know how else you show respect for your husband? The same way that we all show respect for authority. And that's we pray for people who are an authority in our lives. Isn't it fascinating? that when we pray for the position of leadership, even though we can't stand the person that's in it, it changes our whole heart toward that person. There are a lot of things in this country that I'm upset about. There are a lot of people in office that, frankly, you know what, I never voted for and never would. I wish they never would have got elected. But I know what God says, that we're to, we're to pray for them. We're to pray for them so that all would be well with us. Pray for that person. Pray for the responsibilities that they have. Respect the office and the role that they have. And the same thing's true in your household. You know what? Sometimes you may not like your husband, but what I'd encourage you to do is, out of respect, pray for him. Pray for him that he become the man of God that God wants him to become. Not the person that you want him to become, but that he would become who God has designed for him to become. Pray for that person. And the last thing is this and probably the toughest. Well, I don't know. These are all pretty tough, I guess, depending on where you are. But resist the temptation to be argumentative and contentious. What does that mean? Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Uh, that it's Basically, it's going to contrast the inward person and the outer person. You know, we spend a lot of time in our culture getting dressed up and looking good, but God says we need to spend more time, ladies, to develop that, that inner character that God's looking for. He says that, you know what, instead it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is worth great worth in God's sight. A gentle and quiet spirit. Gentle person is in control. A quiet person is not a silent person. A quiet person goes about making their point in a way that the other person will listen to and maybe respond to. But when you nag and you're contentious and you're naggy, it's not going to work. Nobody likes a whiner, and no husband likes somebody that nags them constantly. Sister, this is the way holy women of the past who put their hope in God. Notice that? They put their hope in God. They put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. And you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. What does God have to say about this whole idea of being argumentative or contentious? He says in Proverbs nineteen thirteen, a foolish son is his father's ruin and a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping. Let me give you some more. Proverbs 21, 9 and 19, better to live on a corner on a corner of the roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Man, you know, I've been in a lot of attics on hot days. And sometimes they're not a bad place to be. (laughs) Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. What is God trying to say? That's probably not the way you're going to reach your husband. That's not the way you're going to reach your husband. Think about this. Put yourself in a culture where a woman gives her life to Jesus Christ. Her husband does not. And he's standing around and he's sitting around and he's watching everything that she does. In our culture, ladies, some of you have tried to nag your husbands into the kingdom of God. Now, let me just explain something to you. I don't want to be in a kingdom where there's nagging going on. So if you've got to nag your husband to be more spiritual. you got to nag your husband to get him to church. you got to nag your husband to read the Bible. You put little post-its and little verses all over the place. In the morning, when he gets up to go to the bathroom, he lifts the lid and there's a, you know, there's a verse right there. You know? And, and uh, something about, you know, uh, well, probably uh, going the straight way or something. I don't know. but, uh, But 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 there's verses everywhere you know there's Bibles opened up all over the place you got the, the CDs and your little cassettes going with little Christian music in the background you're trying to win them over to the Lord and you know what you're doing you're driving them further away you're driving them crazy you want that man to come to know Jesus Christ you want that man to become obedient in his walk with the Lord and stop being disobedient in the things that he's doing hey you know how you're going to reach him you know how God's going to do it you know how, what he's going to do he's going to use you and you know how it's going to all work out you're going to subject yourself to his authority you're going to love him. You're going to respect him. You're not going to nag him. You're going to tell him what you feel. You're going to tell him what you think but you're going to do it in a way that respects his position of authority in your home. You're not going to nag him. You're not going to be quarrelsome. You're not going to ear. you're not going to do any of that. You're going to be respectful. You're going to live a pure life. You're going to be sensible emotionally. You're not going to somehow or another extort things from him by manipulating him from your emotions. You're not going to use your physical body to manipulate in any way. You're not going to go dressed up looking like you're for sale. You're going to save it for him. You're going to love this guy. Be devoted to this guy. You're going to subject yourself to his authority in his life. Not because he's better than you. Not because he's smarter than you. But because that's the authority that he's given him in your family. And when you do that, you're going to be amazed at what God can do. It's unbelievable. I like what one guy told me. He was a terrible person to live with. He was a nasty person to live with. His wife came to know the Lord many years before he did. And his, you know what? And what was killing him was this. His wife, every time, she would just look at him and she would just smile. And he said it was like a spiritual mugging. Her smile became a spiritual mugging. And over the course of the years together, as she respected his position of authority in his home and as she loved him and respected him, And as she was reverent from the standpoint of understanding who he was and who God made, God used that to break down his resistance to where he said, you know what? If your God can do that in your life and he could give you the grace to put up with me, that's the God that I want to come to know. Wow, that's good stuff. It's not easy stuff, but it's good stuff. And I just challenge you to be submissive and subjected to the authority of your husband in your own home and then praise God when he does a great work in your life. Father, thanks for this time to be together. We just thank you for your word that is culturally relevant for today as it was when you had first written it, that you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever, and that your principles stay the same. God, we just thank you and we praise you. We look forward to what you do in our lives as we just, in faith, step out and trust you. God, we know that life's not fair, but we know that you are. And like our role model, Jesus Christ, we will continue to entrust ourselves to you who judge righteously. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Now, guys,